Hey, this is Adao Steve from the Sportsnet.ca, and you're listening to the Jays Journal Podcast with Ari Shapiro. It's always a pleasure to have the Dow of Steve on the Jays Journal podcast because a lot of my listeners end up feeling a sense of lucidity. Uh, we talked about sober second thought and perspective. So first of all, Dow, thanks again for finding the time to come on the show. Uh, no problem. Always a pleasure, Ari. The last time we spoke, I distinctly remember us talking about looking at the positives, the bright side of things at a time when May was quickly slipping away. Needless to say, it completely bottomed out. Um, There was a stat yesterday that I'm sure was as upsetting to you as it was to me that not since, I think, 77 or 78 did they have a month in a season where they didn't string more than one win together. And that's got to be a remarkable stat. When was the last time you remember following this baseball team and not seeing them win at least two games in a given calendar month? I, I I can't remember uh, a, a month really quite as bad as this. I mean, I, I think usually these tend to be the April that they they've had in recent years, as opposed to uh, as opposed to May. And and we had a good April this year, and and uh, I mean a really terrible May. But um, you know, it's it, it's obviously it's dispiriting, and I think that there's there's an interesting thing that's happening right now with this fan base, which is that uh, the the gaze is going far into the distance and um, and and the worse that the Blue Jays play in the short term, the more that people want to kind of speed things along and get to that next phase. Um, unfortunately, I think the problem is, is that uh, with them playing as poorly as they are, I don't think that they get to move on to the next uh, phase, uh, you know, if the Blue Jays uh, struggle and fall back and fall out of uh, consideration. You and I are in agreement of how they need to fight out of this. There won't be a there won't be a, a magic uh, rescue mission, a savior who just shows up on the horizon. As much as you and I would like that uh, to be Vlad Guerrero Jr., we both know that there are so many legitimate baseball reasons not to call him up. But knowing what you and I know now of May and what's happening on social media, and the pressures associated with trying to improve this team, are you going to be shocked if something unusual happens over the course of June where we might actually end up seeing him? Or in your mind, are you completely ruling that out? I mean, I wouldn't rule it out 100%. I mean, the fact that that Ross Atkins has got his eyes on him in New Hampshire right now, uh, I think... uh, goes to show you that maybe that there there is some additional consideration being given. Now, it's not to say that the only reason that Ross Atkins is in New Hampshire is just to see Vladdy, but, I mean, come on, you know, that there's yeah. lots to see, but, I mean, there's, there's certainly a star attraction down there. So, wouldn't 100% uh, uh, shock me at this point? I do think, given where this team is sitting, uh, what's happened 
you know, we are really at the end of, of one window, and maybe even this is uh, something where the Blue Jays tried to prop open the window just uh, just a little bit for one final year before the, the next uh, iteration of this team came through. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, it, it, it's kind of fallen by the wayside with as bad a month as you can imagine. Uh, I think um, I remember the last time I was on the podcast, I, I was on a, a bit of a rant and maybe a little more negative about the Blue Jays than I had been in a while, but but kind of stopped myself short to say that the injuries are a big part of it, and that still stands at this point, um, that this is a team that has too many guys who are either on the disabled list or who are underperforming and or taking up a 25 man roster spot that they, where they can't uh, answer the call uh, every day. So, I mean, health is, is always, I think in baseball, a a thing that's going to drag a team down and it has definitely dragged this team down. I think a lot more than, than any of us um, have necessarily recognized as, we are in the middle of this. Can we eliminate any notion that player regression and underachievement really should be talked about more than it is? Because we're not hearing a lot about that. We're hearing about the injuries. We're hearing about the controversies, in particular, specifically what happened to Roberto Asuna. You don't, you don't just lose your elite closer overnight and expect to put a Band-Aid over it. It shouldn't, I think, surprise either you, myself, or the fans that blowing the saves against Boston and Oakland came largely as a result of the fact that they didn't have the right personnel in store. How, how do you deal with people who keep saying it's their lack of depth, uh, it's, it's Mark Shapiro's fault, when what you have is a team whose regulars are performing well below expectations, thereby putting all the pressure on parts that were really originally signed to be utility parts, right? I mean, wasn't the whole point of getting Aledmus Diaz and Jan Hervis Solarte and Curtis Granderson so that you don't have to use them in every single game? And yet that's exactly what the Blue Jays are now forced to do. I, I mean, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that what, what uh, I, I don't think that uh, any of this could be put on, um, on the, the, baseball administration, uh, either Atkins or, or Shapiro, uh, I, I, to me, I mean, uh, not to be hot takey about this, but if you wanted to blame somebody for the construction of, of this roster, I mean, look, Alex Anthopoulos still has a hand in this. And if the team was going great, then people would be quick to give him credit. But I mean, there's some stuff that's kind of playing out from uh, what Alex did a, a few years ago. And none of us, you know, a standard uh, caveat is that none of us would ever give that back, but um, but some of this is sort of the result of that. So, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a team that was uh, supposed to have some additional depth. Um, I, I mean, uh, that some of that depth is underperformed. Uh, I wonder a little bit, and I, I'm not. I like uh, Lourdes Gurriel um, Jr., uh, but. I found that they had a really quick hook with him. Um, I mean, when you're trotting out Russell Martin to shortstop, which is like super adorable for one game, but when you start to mm. see him bouncing around the diamond like Jose Akendo, um, 
and still carrying, you know, uh, I think uh, an OPS, you know, in under 600, maybe, maybe it's over 600 at this point, but, uh, you know, this is uh, this is a roster where they were supposed to raise the floor, and the floor kind of fell out from underneath them. And uh, it's it's certainly it's it's hellish to watch at this point. It's funny; it bothered me for that same reason in seeing Russell in left field, knowing that Dwight Smith Jr. was starting to show progress once again. Quick hooks, players coming up for a couple of day call ups and being brought back down. We saw Anthony Alford. We saw. Dalton Pompey, we've seen different pitchers coming up. And I think part of the reason why there's so much cynicism with many fans and why this smells very much like last year is because there are not only similarities in the way things are unfolding, albeit inverted. You know, we started strong in April. Now the team is struggling in May. That's the mentality. But also, don't you find that it's getting a little bit frustrating to see all the flack that a John Gibbons is getting? I mean, the fire Gibby movement is up in arms. I put out a poll, poll question to see how people felt about John Gibbons. And it seems to me, at least through social media, Dow, that the majority of fans are still very comfortable with John Gibbons being the manager of this team. But their numbers are dwindling as this team fails to progress especially during the last two weeks of May. I mean, I think you and I can agree that the last week or two, Gibbons made some really bad decisions. He really put himself in a position for that criticism at a time when the rest of the team is woefully underperforming to the point where he can't rely on consistent starters or hitters. I mean, this is a real test of John Gibbons' ability as a manager at this point. Um, I think that uh, he's shown himself to be uh, somewhat fallible. Uh, I think that there are probably even those of us who in past years would have uh, been instinctive uh, uh, defenders of, of Gibbons to uh, who, who are, are noting some of the things that are either head scratchers, you know, or, or what have you, uh, you know, and, and Gibby's take on it is kind of a, well, what did you expect me to do? And, you know, I, I, I guess the other side of this is is that oftentimes when managers get fired, it's not because of what they've done. It's because a whole bunch of other factors conspire against them. You know, when, when John Gibbons was fired the first time as Blue Jays manager, um, uh, it, it really wasn't necessarily about the job that he did, but it was just the circumstance that he was in. Um, and uh, that that led to to that i i clearly remember writing that that uh, blog post uh, on my old blogspot uh <laughs> blog that mm. uh, that uh, that said exactly that so you know i mean these things uh, the life life is a flat circle uh, or time is a flat circle and life is always about these these cycles coming back and I, I have to say, in terms of things that wouldn't surprise me, it wouldn't surprise me um, if John Gibbons maybe wasn't the manager of the Blue Jays at the end of this season. It might not even surprise me if he's not the Blue Jays manager at the end of June, depending on uh, how things play out. And that's not calling for him to be fired. I, I just I think that uh, potentially um, someone ends up uh, someone ends up walking a plank or they they decide to take a different direction as the team is about to move on to this next phase. 
Well, and you and I know that it's tough being a manager in this baseball market for so many reasons. When things are going well, it's because you've got a talent-laden, experienced, exciting, chemistry-balanced team. And when things aren't going well, it's, uh, it's your fault. You're, you're not getting it done the way it should be. That's exactly what Cito faced. The only difference being that Cito was not only a multiple World Series winner, but demonstrated in his evolution from the hitter, hitting coach to the the captain at the helm that he was absolutely instrumental in keeping what was a very talented team together and focused. And for the first two weeks of this year, you could argue that John Gibbons found himself with, with a bevy of overachieving performances and this coalescing of chemistry. Is that still somewhat there, in your opinion, knowing what you know from the way this team performed in April and contrasting it with how poorly they played in May? What are your expectations going into June? Can we rebound from this mentality of we're just going to be a placeholder season for youth development and for people to basically grumble on social media for the next four and a half months? Or will, do you think there'll be a, a rebound, an opportunity for people to say, hey, there are over 100 games left. Maybe we should keep a little perspective when it comes to the sport of baseball. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance for the Blue Jays to come back and, and be a competitive team. I, I, I think with the month of May that they had, uh, you know, and, and look, I'm usually the person who's handcuffed themselves to the ship as it's going down and said, I'm not, I'm, I'm not letting go until, until we hit the bottom uh, of the seafloor here. But you know, they're going to have a real challenge trying to uh, dig themselves back out and and really, I mean, the absolute uh, top end of what they can expect at this point is that, that second wild card. So, but I mean, look, if you, someone told me today, you know what, they're going to they're gonna fight and scrape and whatever and get the second wild card and maybe, you know, uh, get ushered out in that game, you know what, I would take it because I think that that would be, um, uh, a great run. Now, it's interesting that you mentioned Cito, though, because it's if there was one of the flaws that I, I think that I saw in Cito towards the end of his run as a Blue Jays manager, it was his loyalty to some of his veteran players. And it's mm. funny because I do start to see that with John Gibbons as well. And I don't think loyalty to veterans is necessarily inherently a bad thing. I do think that Russell Martin getting starts everywhere around the diamond is in part uh, a function of, 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 I almost called him Cito, a function of Gibby's um, uh, belief and commitment to those veteran players. Um, so I also think, as I said, that was part of the undoing, sticking Joe Carter into the cleanup spot when he really had no business uh, being there, maybe even not being in the lineup at that point, uh, you know, legend status and, and everything. I think that um, that Cito put Carter in a bad position and Carter put Cito uh, in a poor position mm-hmm. as well. So, um, you know, I, I, and there's some, some interesting contrast there too. And, uh, you know, another thing that comes to mind just comparing Cito to, to Gibbons is, um, it, you know, I think Cito got roundly mocked and uh, it was in his second go round as the manager in, in Toronto where he made a comment about you lose one to win two later. Um, and there was a lot of people who in the moment kind of mocked that and said, no, you managed to you play the win the game. I think part of 
what my concern has been uh, with some of what Gibbons has done and has been the quick hook that he's had on the pitchers. And it worked at times in April, but it also created a situation where they were basically wearing uh, wearing out their bullpen on a regular basis. And, you know, uh, I, I, I think that the, the new orthodoxy is to get starting pitchers out before they, the other team gets too good a look at them in a, in a given game and not to give them that third time through the order. Uh, Okay, fine, but you've got to have multi-inning relievers or you have to be willing to use your relievers as multi-inning relievers uh, in order to get you through all those innings that you need to plow through. And that's something that I just don't think that you've, necessarily seen with uh, with Gibby this year. So there's a little bit of a lack of coherence in terms of the pitching strategy. And for, for a manager who is always known as uh, a guy who managed bullpens very well, managed the pitching staff very well, I, I just have found uh, some of what he's done early on to be a little bit lacking and, and, and may have contributed to uh, putting them in this situation where they're, they're uh, they're really, uh, I think, uh, constantly trying to uh, to dig their way out of this this um, hole with the uh, with the fatigue in the bullpen and the uh, short starts in the in the in the rotation. And look, the starting pitchers have done giving no favors at all. So no, no. so 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 not to put it all on the manager, it, but you know they they're. They're they're not going to fire um, uh, Aaron Sanchez at this point. Um, they may consider firing Marco Estrada, or maybe even I, I, maybe even moving him to the bullpen. Although again, I think that I think that 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 would be something that that Gibby would fight against, and maybe he doesn't even have the stuff to be a, a bullpen guy anymore. But I I think that. Marco Estrada is a Blue Jay uh, this September. Um, I, I'm starting to have my my doubts as to whether or not if that's something that we see, which is which is a terrible thing to say because a guy who was such a great contributor, but you know, um, uh, sport being what it is, uh, loyalty can only go so far. That's an excellent point because all we have to do is look back to the standard that these pitchers four out of these five pitchers set in 2016, which was a real aberration of a pitching year because neither of us had ever seen this healthy, a group of hurlers. Honestly, they were money in the bank. And I think that's part of the problem is that they spoiled Gibby in some ways because his expectation was that if I've got a great effective bullpen and reliable starters, Guy's the limit. Let's try and make a run for the postseason. But can you ever recall the situation? And I certainly can't, because usually following the Blue Jays and baseball in general, if your pitching struggles, you usually have your hitters try to step up. And if your hitters are in a funk, then pitchers keep you in the game. We're at this weird nexus point, aren't we, where four of the five starters are simply not getting it done. And then the aforementioned veteran loyalty that you talked about is clearly on display with the Russell Martins and the Kendris Moraleses of the day, where you have players like a Randall Grichuk, who's going to come back from injury, has struggled coming back from his rehabilitation. My understanding is that he's not exactly, you know, 
hitting the stars with what he's doing down there. Everything is either a fly out or a strikeout. Um, I fear that that's what will ultimately lead to Gibby's you know demise in this. I think it will be his stubborn regard for keeping the guys that he feels will get it done in the end. And he hasn't been wrong about the bullpen. Even when the bullpen struggled now, we can agree that the Blue Jays have an excellent bullpen. The problem is that some mismanagement has hurt it. Like in particular, let's bring up Joe Biagini. Is it my imagination or does it look like Joe is in real trouble being able to figure out what his identity is as a major league baseball player because they started tinkering with him. They took a perfectly good high leverage reliever, tried to turn him into a starter, and now he's back in the bullpen struggling with every outing. How does a fan reconcile that when it comes to veteran loyalty? Wow. Well, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, uh, I, I think when it comes to be a genie, uh, you know, I don't, I don't question um I don't question the decision to to try and make him uh, a starter. I think that, you know, the value that starters bring over top of what uh relievers bring is is just that much more important and and if they thought that they had a guy who could legitimately be even, you know, a 4 or a 5, but legitimately a 4 or a 5 and in a major league rotation, you got to assess that out and you got to give him the opportunity. Um, uh, I, you know, so I, I, I don't think that that's, um, that the outcome there has necessarily means that the, uh, upfront decision was the wrong one. Uh, but I mean, um, you hope that Joe Biagini is going to be able to be a contributor. I mean, he's a guy who they got for nothing and mm-hmm. certainly served them well for a couple of years, but he, um, they need to get something from him right now, uh, you know, especially and as you said off the off the top, um, you know, not having the closer um, uh, here. Um, probably, uh, I would I would guess that he will not throw another inning for the Blue Jays at least this year. Maybe not ever. I don't think that I'm necessarily. Um, disheartened by the baseball aspect of that as much as I am just sort of disheartened by uh, the whole thing of it. And um, so I, I, you know, I, I think that on some level I've kind of put the, the, the notion of, uh, of that and, and sort of stash it away somewhere and said, I'm not going to think about it, but it does play out when, Tyler Clippard, who looked good for a few games and suddenly looked very Tyler Clippard-ish um, mm-hmm. uh, when he when he got uh, rocked. I still am interested to see if Sung Won Oh, uh, oh gets a uh, gets some save opportunities. But you know, maybe the best part about this is that they don't have to name a ninth inning guy like they can go with whoever is giving them the best innings in the moment and at the time yeah. and 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 let let the bullpen know that that's the way that they're going to approach it um because there was so much of the narrative around ryan Tapera uh and his struggles in the ninth inning and a couple of opportunities that he had um that people said well it was a different mindset and it's a different situation it's a different game and it's like you know Dude has to go out and throw strikes, and and I know that I'm maybe the exception here. I don't think that Ryan Tapera is uh, is a guy who is necessarily a great reliever. I I feel like all of the stats to the contrary. I see him as a guy who 
uh, yanks a lot of balls out of the zone, and I wouldn't put a ton of long-term trust into him. Uh, so, um, and, you know, when I saw what he was doing in the ninth inning, that didn't look like a guy who was rattled. That looked kind of a lot like Ryan Tapera to me. So I'm, le- I'm well, letting it all out here. Yeah. All of my grievances and grudges against the Blue Jays are suddenly being, you know, brought to the surface now that they've had a, a one terrible month. You know, I have that effect on people, uh, especially <laughs> when when discussing something that they're clearly passionate about. And when it comes to this Blue Jays team, um, this really is the worst case scenario. I, I had hoped for one of two things, either for this team to get off to a strong start and maintain it and stay competitive, or reach a point where they would acknowledge early on that it's a rebuilding year and that even though they would struggle at the at the gates and, and with merchandising and maybe having to let go of fan favorites, at least they were charting the course for the fans clearly and plainly in front of them. And it's that it's, it's all these mixed signals. It's this purgatory. In some ways they're in a kind of baseball purgatory, whether going, whether they're going bullpen by committee or the revolving Russell Martin door, which is quite frankly, laughable. It's laughable. I'm all for, for him trying to play an infield position, because as you know, a couple of years ago, he, through a bit of a tantrum because I believe it was baseball Canada refused to let him play in the infield during one of the, you know, competitive off season years they had um, to see that happen now is disheartening for a blue Jays fan who was told by members of the media and by different pundits and by bloggers and writers and us that there was something to look forward to, you know, whether it was fan saying they'll hit 87, 88 wins and be a second wild card team, whether it was Baseball America saying don't fret, help is on the way, Vladdy's an 80 hit rating, he'll be up in no time. I get this impression that the fan base is, is profoundly disappointed of, at the uncertainty. There, there really isn't anything happening any fronts. There isn't anything happening other than the spectacle of watching Kendris Morales pitch or Russell Martin play at a position that he's never played for before, which is, quite frankly, you'll agree, absolutely a mockery of baseball. It's 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 not good. I mean, and, you know, uh, I, I know that in the moment you can kind of love that moment of seeing a, a guy come in and it's a bit of relief from from what's been happening but ultimately, I mean, what is going to make baseball fans happy is seeing a winning team. And, you know, the the Blue Jays can set themselves up to look towards having a winning team as soon as this year, maybe uh, next year. Um, and, and so I, I, I don't think that you necessarily just um, uh, light the whole thing on fire at this point and say it's, it's – uh, uh, there, there's, there's absolutely no hope, um, but you just mostly want to see the team play better, and and uh, and I think that you know there's been poor defense all around. It's just not a, it's not a, uh, it's not a great look for the team. And you know the 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 one other thing. I mean, we talk about health sometimes as though there's there's a whole bunch of just like bad luck and and misfortune that is attached to that. Um, I, I I do subscribe to that axiom that health is a skill, and um, there's a couple of guys who should be amongst the two or three or four most important players on this team. Uh, who are not healthy right now, 
um, who weren't healthy in spring training, who maybe weren't healthy in April. And, uh, and, and I just think that, you know, uh, that, uh, Josh Donaldson, uh, bless him for pushing through trying to get in, but like, you know, uh, I'd love for him to be a seven win player. If he plays at this, uh, sort of dodgy health level, level, he's a three and a half or a four win player at most. And a four win player is still valuable, but it's not Josh Donaldson valuable. And, uh, and in terms of Marcus Stroman, I mean, you know, here's a guy who was upset with the team that they didn't want to let him have the opening day start, who uh, pushed to make sure that he was going to be uh, in the opening series so that he was pitching at Yankee Stadium. And now um, he's nowhere to be seen. And, you know, when maybe the Blue Jays could have taken a different approach. So I, uh, so, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I think, and I, and I know that as process driven as this front office is going to, or is that they are going to take a look at, at how these, um, things are, are being assessed and dealt with on an ongoing basis. But, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, that certainly contributes to some of the frustration around the team right now. It's certainly eye-opening when your two or three top wins above replacement performers end up being, as you mentioned, players who are either injured or underperforming. And Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, and Josh Donaldson were really relied upon as being the agents behind this team. If they were going to make this the postseason, if they were going to demonstrate their value to the fans of Toronto, those three needed to have years that didn't necessarily have to reflect what they did in 16, 17, or rather 15, 16, or 17, respectively. But now you look at where they're at, and it's easy to see why the average fan has very cynical perspectives about the future of this team. Who's your pick, as a, as a final question, um, who's your pick to try to come back and give fans a reason to be enthusiastic, whether it's someone coming off the DL like a Pierce or a Krejcik or a Tillowitzki, or maybe one of the present players getting a little bit of rest and showing up in June. Is there anyone you're looking forward to that will hopefully pick this team up, kicking and screaming by the lapel and say, let's get back to winning baseball? Uh, you know, I, I, I think Steve Pierce as a bat um, would be important. I've never been a big fan of him in the field, but I mean, I, I guess I'm hit. starting yeah. to miss I, I'm starting to miss him in the field uh, at this point. Um, you know, I, 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 I really want to see what Randall Grichuk can do. And I think that there are skills there. I think that he's still a really raw player. And I think that there is the possibility that, um, that there, there could be, you know, something there, maybe not an all-star, but, you know, a, a, a guy who, like a, a, a Chris Young or Aaron Hicks ha, ha, have been for the Yankees and, and Red Sox in recent seasons. Uh, you know, a really good, reliable uh, uh, outfielder who can, can help to pick up the, the lineup at times. So, I mean, uh, maybe I'm the last Randall Grichuk fan in Canada at this point, but I, I'm, I, I would like to see him 
uh, come back and, and be productive and maybe uh, find his stroke. But, you know, uh, getting guys back from injury and then expecting them to perform at a high level um, is, is probably more than anybody should be wishing for at this point. Who would have thought now that it came to this? You and I speaking on uh, May the 31st, 2018, and the season the balance of the season basically weighs on Randall Grichuk and Steve Pierce. I mean, it's, I've got a delightful grin because it's absolutely absurd, but yet so incredibly necessary because we know what they can do to the lineup. We know what they can do to change the complexion of the team. I certainly hope it does get better because I agree with you that us discussing the negatives and focusing on all the doom and gloom and focusing on all the calamities that have unfolded, it's important to contextualize them but you always want to walk away thinking that there's at least some reason to be hopeful. Maybe that's just a human characteristic, let alone a baseball one. So when a baseball fan comes up to you, and I'm sure many do, whether it's through a direct message or a text message, when you meet on the street, if the average baseball fan, Blue Jays fan, came to you right now and said, Dow, give me reasons to be hopeful, how would you set up in like one or two sentences? What would you tell them to get them to basically settle down from all this angst and bitterness? I at this point I would say the future is bright and uh it can't get any worse than it's been over the last 4 weeks so uh so I I think you know what we need to see is we do need to see um something that more closely resembles what the 25 man roster should look like uh in order for uh for for people to start finding uh some of that hope and you know, I, in terms of a, a little bit of hope that I have, I mean, I, I know there are diminished expectations for for Dwight Smith Jr., but I really like what he's done. And, and frankly, yeah, me I mean, one mm-hmm. of the one of the yeah one of the things um, uh, not to be a curmudgeon, and, and it's nothing personal towards uh, Russell Martin, but uh, the idea that you couldn't run Dwight Smith Jr. out there because there is a lefty on the mound. Why so, not? I mean, mm-hmm. left, lefties, left-handed hitters have to face left, uh, left-handed pitchers at times. It's, That's and, and yeah, you know, and it's not to say that you want them to, 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 to be put in a situation where they're facing like three tough lefties in a series, but put them out there. Let them, let them get some some at bats against a lefty in Fenway Park, where you know you can go the other way and. And, and put something off the monster. Like I don't know. I, I, Dwight Smith has been uh, has has impressed me, and uh, and I think that uh, maybe he can continue on as he as he has and and help to prop up uh, what's been a pretty dismal lineup. And of course, it's only fitting that we talked about Cito Gasson and his foibles because once upon a time he used to sit John Olerud against left-handed pitchers. So there's realism in baseball and necessity in how players develop. And I agree with you. Sometimes you just have to give a player his cup of coffee, but a real cup of coffee, right? Not you're up for three games and you're down for two. Same thing with pitchers. If you really believe that Joe Biagini is a starter, then let him be a starter. Don't just call him up for spot starts. Don't lose faith the first signs of of adversity and trouble. And hopefully that's something that won't come back to haunt John Gibbons. Because I think under the circumstances and where this team is, all things considered, he still deserves to try to get himself out of this mess. And 
you know, it's hard to believe that you and I are speaking with this degree of severity and implication for something that still has over 100 games. And you and I have seen it before. Things can change very quickly in baseball. You can get on a seven or eight game winning streak. You can do what they did in May. You know, even though it was a horrible month, you have to admit, you have to admit that the way they played against the Phillies, which are a decent team and a wild card contender in their own right, maybe gives you some hope that there's still enough chemistry and desire to win that maybe we'll see a vastly different team show up in the month of June. As always, Dow, I appreciate you dropping in and chatting with me. Uh, tell me quickly what's going on in Sportsnet, what my listeners should be looking for in terms of any type of uh, articles you're working on. Uh, you know, it's it's the the Blue Jay is sliding. Sometimes uh, the, the misery is what brings out the best in writers, and I'm not sure if that's the case with me. Um, but uh, so I'll be, I am, I think, looking at, um, what's going to be happening with the with the team in the in the short term, um, and whether or not if people should be looking past this season. So that'll be up on uh, on Friday at Sportsnet, and also I think next week uh, another look ahead article as well. So a, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of pieces where maybe. Uh, not looking at necessarily the the short term and man, uh, managing what's happening in this season, but looking ahead. And so, I think after a month like this, uh, um, you know, uh, eyes forward as opposed to on the uh, rearview mirror is, is the best medicine that I can offer people. His name is the Dow of Steed. He's a weekly Jays contributor with Sportsnet. Be sure to check out his great work on Twitter, at Dow of Steve, and on sportsnet.ca. And as always, my friend, I appreciate you dropping by. You're one of my favorite baseball people, and hopefully we'll have better things to talk about in June, more optimistic, exciting, and hopeful things when it comes to this Blue Jays team. Thanks again, my friend. Here's hoping, Ari. We'll talk soon. So here we are. We're going to talk Blue Jays with this baseball roundtable that I've cobbled together on relatively short notice, but it's a good one. Because we're going to start with my first guest. He's a graduate of the College of Sports Media and a producer at Sportsnet The Fan 590. He also runs a weekly tennis podcast called The Southpaw Slice with Ben Luce. John Reed is on the show. John, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, Ari. Next, we've got a sports journalist and former reporter with the Oshawa Generals. He runs the One Two Punch podcast with Matthew Kasabian and is also a contributor for BlagoBloggerSports.com and TheFanaticsView.com. Sam Mendelson, welcome to the show, my friend. Always a pleasure sitting down and talking sports with you, Ari. Absolutely. And last but not least, this familiar name is a Toronto-based sportscaster who can also be heard on the Sportsnet Radio, the Fan 590, and 680 News. He's also the creator of the Good, the Bad, and the Teske podcast. Colin Teske is with us today. Colin, good to hear your voice again, sir. Good to hear your voice again, Ari, man. Let's do this. I know. I know it's been so long since we last had a chance to jibber jab. Let's do this. Let's let's hunker down and talk about. And I want to start with you, Sam. If you're a Blue Jays fan, do you write off the season at this stage in the game, or do you still place some sort of stock into the fact that you've got over 100 games left in this regular season? What's the situation? Well, I think it's definitely way too early to throw in the towel because you know when you look at the AL East you know it's going to go through Boston New York and you're going to have to fight for that last wild card and you know with you know the trade deadline of you know a month away that things are going to happen with teams that are actually going to be in the playoffs but I think for the Toronto Blue Jays 
you know, they compete every day, but the two stats that stand out to me is firstly their run differential. They're minus 25, which is in the top and the bottom five in the American League, and that's a big concern. They're not scoring runs. They're not getting support for their pitching rotation, which hasn't been so bad. And, you know, the second stat that jumps out to me is it's 12 and 17 at home. You know, Colin and I were just talking before on air about, you know, being at the Rogers Center and going to see Mike Trout and stuff like that. And the environment's there, but when you can't produce in front of your home fans, it's much tougher to go on the road and have to bat in the top half of the ninth rather than the bottom half of the ninth. And I think that if you add a couple pieces, wink, wink, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, you infuse some life into that offense. You know, you never know a win streak here and there of eight or ten games can really infuse this lineup and get them back into a wild card hunt. I, I really don't don't see it happening, and I'm going to take the opposite tact um, on this question. I think this roster is fairly thin uh, all round, other than maybe in the rotation, um, and we we know they've underperformed. And even if they were to step it up a bit, I just don't see much much room for improvement. And I think you got to look at the competition in the American League and understand that even if they do improve, it's still going to be really hard to make a case that they're better than whoever could end up in that second wildcard position. Uh, Cleveland is having the same kind of struggles right now as the Jays. They're, they're underperforming, but luckily they have the virtue of a much weaker division. I don't see the Jays really being able to compete. I, I think even if Donaldson were to find himself at 100% and get back to what he's capable of doing, where where is the rest of the offense coming from? Well, that's just it. I think John nailed it, too. I'm a little more pessimistic when you ask me that question, Ari, because I see a team that's lost 13 of 17. And I agree with John's point. The starting pitching hasn't performed. They're very thin when you look at their starting rotation. And a guy like Josh Donaldson's a big wild card for me. He, he's been unhealthy most of the year. He hasn't been producing up to what we've been used to with Josh Donaldson. And from what I've seen the last two months, I don't know how much more you can expect from a guy like Josh Donaldson. And the core of this team is a lot older. And when you look up at the American League East, when you look at Boston and New York, they're not only way ahead of us in the standings, but they've also got guys that are young who are under the age of 25, guys like Glaber Torres on the Yankees and Aaron Judge, Ben Intendi, guys like that. So that gives me less optimism, knowing this is an aging team, and they're already far enough back. I don't have much of an optimistic look for this team in the next month and a half. And, and let me just add as well here before we move on from this, there's not much incentive for the Jays' front office to want to make the postseason. Because even if they were to load up and potentially take on salary or, or bring in players to make a run, you know you are only going to achieve that second wildcard spot. I mean, in all, re, in all, in all reality... Even with 100 games left, unless the Yankees or Red Sox lose three, their three best players, one of them will win the division, one of them has the first wildcard spot, most likely. So if you're only competing for that second wildcard spot, there's no financial incentive for the front office to go out and spend any money at the trade deadline or give up assets because you're playing a one, it's a one-off game and you don't even get the revenue of hosting that game. So I, I don't even – it's not just that I think that they, they aren't good enough now, but I don't see any incentive for the front office to go out and improve as the season goes along. And I don't think it's a matter of revenue as much as you're not even guaranteed if you make those big moves at the deadline that you are guaranteed that second spot in the playoffs. And if they're so far behind, it's just climbing a hole that's you know, not able to climb out of. 
And, you know, the whole thing with, you know, Rob Roberto Osuna is a whole other story. But you're right. There are so many holes in this team. And you can look at Jay Happ maybe being the lone bright spot in the rotation. But even that, no one knows what's going on with Strowman. You know, Sanchez struggled in, in Boston the other day. Mm. So you do have to wonder, you know, even if you plug one hole, there's another, you know, it's like a sinking ship. It's just plugging one hole, but another hole pops up and more water comes into the ship. The math is positively gruesome on that front, and I'm inclined to agree with all three of you. For the Blue Jays to get 90 wins, which is still not even a guarantee that you'll get that second card, wild card spot, considering that the teams that are competing for are, are decent to, to good teams. I mean, the Seattle Mariners and the Los Angeles Angels and the Oakland Athletics have all proven in a very short stretch of time that they can be competitive, something the Blue Jays haven't been able to do. The Blue Jays need to play 6-13 ball to get the second wildcard spot, in my estimation. And when you've got players like Marcus Stroman and Joe Biagini who are combined 0-9 with an 8 ERA. I mean, it's a fair comment. And I, I look at Marcus Stroman, a guy you just mentioned, and here was a guy that was coming in with, with all the flair from his social media and the heart and hustle brand that he's been uh you know showcasing we're kind of waiting for him now to, to put that on the field and actually go out there and perform and when his era is that low i mean that's a guy that fans go to see aaron sanchez is a guy that fans go to see roberto osuna is another guy that fans are going to go to see and they know that those three guys are a big part of that team now and in the future when those three are underachieving especially Marcus Stroman, it, it leads to a lot of fans, I think, having this negative outlook. And that's what we're seeing with a lack of people going to the park. And there's just a general lack of a buzz the last month of the season here with, with fans around this team. Whereas last year and the year before, you, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing people talk about the Blue Jays and talk about this team and the promise. So it's now at the point now where I think fans are saying, you know what, we're waiting till the next wave of talent comes up here. And we don't believe in this core that's out there right now. I, I was just going to say, I'm not a, you know, I'm a fan of Joe Biagini. I love his post-game conferences, but to say he's a starting pitcher in Major League after the 15-20 starts he's had, I just think yeah. he's seen enough. I think, it, you know, I wouldn't mind him in the bullpen. I think he's definitely a good arm to have, but he doesn't bring the, you know, the distance. He doesn't have the speed and the velocity to go up against the ALE hitters, and we've seen that in the last couple of weeks or so. You know, with Marcus Stroman, it's a bit of a strange story because he's going into his contract year, right? So there's all this incentive that if he has another great year, he's due for a big pay cut. And he started off, as you mentioned, all right, 0-5 with a 7.71 ERA. And, you know, he said that it's not mechanics and he's not working it, but now he's on the DL. And, you know, you, you just have to wonder how much of that is mental. You know, I'm not trying to bring up the ghost of Ricky Romero, but when a guy gets on Twitter and gets all, you know, very defensive about how he's playing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, we just have a history in Toronto of guys who have had this expectation but been brought down, I guess, if you will, by fans or by people in the media. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes back and if he can rebound. But you're absolutely right with the point before. You know, fans go to the seats and there's more jerseys of Aaron Sanchez and Marcus Stroman than any other player. So when those guys aren't producing and you're reliant on six and seven innings of your bullpen – it just makes things a lot harder for the Jays. Well, you know, you have to feel for, for the people in Blue Jays, um, the marketing department right now, because they've got a lot of game, a lot of tickets to a lot of home games left to try and sell and very little to work with. But um, on the Stroman front, I would say, and I, I spoke with, with Ari uh, previously about this, 
that, and I don't say this facetiously nor antagonistically, but I almost feel like he needs more negative reinforcement. I think some people thrive on positive reinforcement and others thrive on negative reinforcement. And I think when he has a chip on his shoulder is when he performs the best. If people start questioning him and his ability, it, you know, was last year a flash in the pan? You know, we, we, he was too short to start when he was a closer at Duke, and then he proved them wrong and came out and had a great year last year. Well, was that, was that a fluke? Was everyone right before? And I know that's not a popular thing to say, and it's not going to be, you know, it's not a polished thing to say, but I think that might help kind of motivate him. He's one of those people who does read the negative stuff about himself and tries to use that to drive himself. And it's worked in the past. And I don't see any reason why, you know, the media should continue to try and tiptoe around him. He's a brash individual. He should be able to handle criticism. And we uh, in the media should be able to ask those tough questions both to him and about him. Do you think in the past, John, that he's he's been served up in a way by the organization where by fending for himself, as opposed to being the darling that Aaron Sanchez has been, both in marketing and promotion, is that one of the reasons why he developed this kind of me-against-the-world mentality? Because when it works, you come across as being a true baller. Last year, he finished eighth in Cy Young voting. There is no way the average Blue Jays fan could predict that Marcus Stroman would be winless at the end of May. So what does he have to do outside of literally fighting through this that maybe the marketing department can help them with? Because you're absolutely right. I I, I really feel for the people who are employed, even though most of them were cut last year, especially in the PR department by the Shapiro regime. But there is a staggering number of players who are not earning their salaries this year. And I I can give you names like Greetchuk and Martin and Morales and Travis. We can talk about their batting averages. Have you ever seen a team with so many underperforming starters at once? Oh, wait, outside of last year. (laughs) No, it's... it's 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 baffling, and I think the uh, like I said, we had a roundtable uh, a while back, and I said looking at this season, I think the biggest hope for the Blue Jays is that they're going to bring, they're going to have salary flexibility at the same time as Vlad Jr. and Boba Shett are coming up. That's that's the silver lining. The bad side of that is I think it's still a few years away, right? Martin and Tulowitz's contracts still have to run out. Those guys have to become prominent major league players. And that's not going to happen overnight. So I think there is there is certainly a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. Two young, controllable pitchers, but these underperforming salaries—they're not young guys. These guys aren't on their first contracts and underperforming, right? These guys are all on, or mostly on the wrong side of thirty. And you know, you're not just seeing a, perhaps a dip, a temporary dip. It could just be a natural decline in form. Right, just because they're they're aging and it's it's going to take a toll. So I've always I've maintained that you know you don't want to tear it down and and rebuild it like the Cubs did years ago, or you know like the Braves have, because you do have some young pieces. But you also can't be buyers at this deadline. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, both prac like practically within the American League this year, nor does it make any sense organizationally with what you've got and the, the farm system you have. There's just no, there's no point to it. So I think it's a sit and wait kind of game. I agree with that too. And I think, you know, if you're the Blue Jays, what can you get with the current assets that you have that's going to help you maybe get to a wild card position? We know that Alex Anthopoulos emptied out the cupboards and that they don't have that much. I'd be more in the favor 
if the Jays can trade off an older player and get someone like they got last year with Teoscar Hernandez. That Liriano trade looks really, really good. If they can maybe flip an older player going to a contending team and get a good enough prospect back that can come in in a year or two and contribute, I think that's more of the deals they should be looking at. Well, and I think with the Teoscar Hernandez, you're not going to always get a trade where you give up a pitcher or a player, a veteran player, that is, and you're getting a prospect who has promise and shows that he's very good in the field and at the plate. And I think the point earlier being made about guys, you know, living up to their contract, you know, we were talking so much, or, you know, I was at least last year, about how well Justin Smoke was playing and how he's living up more than to what his contract is. He's just getting paid $4.1 million. And you look at all the stats this year, you go to the Blue Jays game, and you look about their big, beautiful jumbotron, and there's not one batter that's even hitting over 275. And you got to wonder, like, how can any baseball player – you know, a baseball team in that matter have guys that aren't producing and yet still trying to compete because it feels like the Jays are, you know, in that limbo. That's why we're having this roundtable conversation. But I think the Jays have to decide in the next few weeks or so if they go on a more of a losing streak that, you know, to cut the ties, like the point that was mentioned earlier, you have a lot of assets in Bichette and Vlad Jr. and you're going to have a lot of financial freedom once the Lewitsky and the Martin contracts come up. So let that play out. I know it's tough for Jays fans to hear, but at this point, you're just not playing with a winning team. You don't have a good hand, so you fold. Except for the fact that the table now has a much higher rate because they increased ticket prices last year. So you're now playing at a poker game where you're spending more money in order to enjoy what is effectively an inferior game from what you had just two short years ago. And I'm curious, John... Why are we hearing that Pete Walker and Brooke Jacoby should be shouldering some of the blame? The starters have a nearly six ERA and the team's hitting 229. Why are these two gentlemen still employed? I, that I, I could not <laughs> answer you um, with with a, an honest point. I I wouldn't be opposed if they, they fired either of them. I mean, I don't think uh, anything's really stood out. There hasn't been a step forward. I mean, we saw Marcus Stroman last year. Uh, take a step forward. Um, a lot of that can be chalked up to his talent. Uh, we've seen a regression this year. Sanchez has not been the same since his blister issue. Uh, Marco Estrada has kind of not deviated from his game plan, but is executing as well. We we just haven't seen much improvement, and I, it's it's really tough to lay on those secondary coaches. But at the same time, there's no there's no other place to look, and responsibility has to come somewhere. So it's either are you going to blame the manager or are you going to blame the pitching coach? And at the start of the year, the bullpen looks just fine. You know, they've got their own bullpen coach down there warming them up and working on, on their stuff in game with them. So when I think of a pitching coach, I'm primarily looking at the starting rotation. And it's, it's easily been the worst aspect of a very bad Jays team. Like there are multiple things wrong with this Jays team, and it's probably been the worst, which is not a good luck for Pete Walker. Well, then let's take the point about blame even further. If we're not going to look at secondary sources, why don't we go straight to the top? And we all use Twitter, and we're all on social media, and it's not a strange thing these days to see at any given time during the day a hashtag fire Gibby response or a hashtag Shapkin stinks, Shapkin sucks. I can give you all sorts of variations. It's obvious there's a lot of frustration by Blue Jays fans. Colin, how much of this current quagmire, if you will, this, this dilemma of how to get a competitive team rests on the shoulders of Gibby and Mark Shapiro, respectively. 
You know, I, I don't want to place much blame on John Gibbons for all of this. And, and I look at this team, and we've said this throughout this podcast, and that you have a team full of guys, young and old, who are underperforming. And that's not on John Gibbons. John Gibbons has been dealt a really tough hand this year. Josh Donaldson's been in and out of the lineup and not healthy. You have Roberto Arsuna going through something right now. Your closer's out. So he's been dealt a really tough hand and he's dealing with the roster that essentially has been put together to bridge the gap until you get to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette when those guys are going to be everyday players. So I don't think this falls on John Gibbons, but part of me thinks one of the one cards you can play if you're Shapiro or Atkins is to fire the manager midseason to try to turn things around if things continue to go south. And I don't know if John Gibbons will escape this season, but I don't necessarily agree with it. I just think when I look at the starting rotation, when I look at how their bullpen has performed, when I look at guys like Donaldson, Martin, Pilar, and some core guys underperforming, I don't think this should be on the manager. And just to piggyback on that point right there, I think it all falls on Mark Shapiro and his, you know, Ross Atkins and his era, because really we haven't seen much in terms of being brought in. We saw Edwin go, Morales trying to fill his shoes. So there hasn't been a lot of confidence if you're, you know, just a spectator of baseball to see what he's done in the two years that he's gone here. The Jays went from being a playoff team to being a bottom team in the American League. And, you know, you're absolutely right. Gibby's been dealt a tough hand. He's got Russell Martin becoming like Andrew Romine and being the ultimate utility player playing in every position. I mean, I thought third base and shortstop was okay, but then you have him in left field at Fenway and you're thinking, does it really come down to this? Like Russell Martin is playing left field. And I just feel bad for Gibby because you hear his interviews after the game and he's telling them that the players are around him and that they support him and that, you know, they're playing hard. But you're not Aaron Boone and you can throw up the Yankees lineup with Stanton, Judge, and Gregorius. And you have to play with what you have. And unfortunately, like, you know, not to keep using the poker uh, reference, but he's been dealt a bad head. You mentioned Donaldson. You know, Osuna goes down. The bullpen looked great early on. Now Osuna's down. Now you have guys like Clifford and Axford trying to fill in roles that they haven't been in for many years. So there's just a lot of falling pieces. And you're right. Shapiro can definitely play the card to fire Gibbies. I think that's an easy card because why fire yourself when you can fire someone else? But I think if you have to blame someone, I personally would look at Shapiro and Atkins. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll first say, um, if this does devolve into a poker podcast, I'm completely okay with that too. All of them. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take a, a def- uh, I don't want to word this incorrectly. I'm not going to defend Mark Shapiro per se, but I think a lot of the times, the like the fire Shapkins or these things that you're talking about on social media, um, I think a lot of those are reactionary after games. I, I do think that the biggest mistakes that were made were bringing in Troy Tulowitzki and Russell Martin. They were brought in during the ripe years, right? And, and I understand that they, they were productive and they, they, were, they did play their role on some very good Jays teams. But the one thing that we never want to digest as sports fans or accept as sports fans is that when you sign this deal with Russell Martin for $20 million a year over several years into his mid-30s as a catcher, you know the back end of that deal is going to be bad. And when the, when the deal happens, fans are willing, will willingly say, oh, we know the back years are going to suck, but we're signing him for now. We're not signing him for three years down the road. Well, we're three years down the road, and the team's not good, and he's not productive, and 
you had your two good years with him. This is the plan. This is what you knew was coming. So I don't think we can complain about Russell Martin's production, and I don't think that falls um, with Atkins and Shapiro either. I think a lot of the moves were the, that were made were to win now in the Anthopolis era, and you know some of those moves are carrying over, and they've been a burden to this team. So I think you know they're. I'm not saying Anthopolis did a bad job either because he he built a winner and he went for it and it almost worked. So, you know, there's there's good and bad here. I just think this is a natural progression of things and uh, perhaps Jays fans' expectations being high before this season or even, you know, an 85-win team is what I would consider lofty expectations for the roster they had even leading in. I think, you know, we instead of trying to cast blame, it's we should just look at this as you know, this is how things work in Major League Baseball. You take a shot, you come close, it doesn't work, and then, you know, you need a few down years to try and recycle some of the, 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 the bloated salaries. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say that Shapiro's done a great job, but I would also say that, you know, this isn't on him. This isn't on the front office. They just, their, their hands have been almost tied in a sense. Uh, it's been tough to really do anything. And I mean, Edwin leaving was those guys as analytics, right? They're analytics and math guys, and they didn't want to pay Edwin $25 million for, you know, a big, slow guy who's very, who, with no versatility when they could do it for $11 million with Morales. And clearly that failed um, when they tried to cost cut. So that move you can, you can assign to them for sure. But the rest of it I think we need to, you know, contextualize here and, and maybe just say this year should have been a write-off almost from the beginning. Just to add another poker reference here to this discussion, um, I think when you look at Alex Anthopoulos, I think what we're seeing now is the fallout of him because he was a riverboat gambler for essentially two seasons. And we understand why he did it. His job was in jeopardy. And we had seen 22 years of mediocrity in this market for the Blue Jays. And I don't blame him for going for it, but when I, when I see fans getting riled up now but what they're seeing on the field, like John said, you knew you only had a short window and you were signing Russell Martin, trading for Tulowitzki and guys like that to basically compete for a year and a half, two years, and this is the fallout. This is an aging team with not much mobility in terms of making trades. You're basically trying to run out some contracts, and I think for Shapiro and Atkins, they were dealt the wrong hand when they first came in here to try to fix this problem that Alex Anthopoulos created. So much is made about analytics and baseball. And, you know, I'm a big fan of analytics. I think the shift is driving baseball a little crazy. But I think, you know, we're, we're all fans of baseball. We, I'm a fan of Billy Bean. I love the movie Moneyball. I read the book. But at the end of the book, he still never won the World Series. So, you know, mm-hmm. analytics only gets you so far. And I love, you know, how they – portrayed it in the movie and the book was great but at the end of the day we're playing for wins and you know when you looked at it and what they've added you know I just you know I'm not trying to stay with poker but yeah it was a bad hand but some people with a bad hand can bluff and have strategy obviously this isn't poker you can't really bluff if you have a bad team but you can make moves that will ultimately lead you to your goal yes I think we all obviously understood that Tulitsky was going to have some bad knees and there was going to be some bad years Russell Martin though fulfilled his if you will I know the down years are now but those three years in those couple years that they were in the playoffs and going deep he served as one of the most reliable players uh, both defensively and offensively so yeah you can obviously look at the down year and you're absolutely right 
a lot of those hashtags do come after a game, after a loss. But what else do fans really have when they see really what's a very poor production and a poor machine in front of them? Right, but that that's what I that's what I mean is that they should they should have known that this was going to be a tough year because, you know, three years ago they signed up for two or three good years of Russell Martin and he was extremely reliable and he did have the OBP that he was signed up for and he called great games with with a pitch with a, a pitching staff that he had and you know all all the credit to him but you know when he's when he's slumping like this this year it's not it shouldn't be a surprise it shouldn't be holy cow what happened to Russell Martin well the guy's a catcher who's you know kneeling half the game and he's he's over 30 years old there's you know no catchers are going to get better after 30 or you know not more than one or two anyway and and i think that ultimately this is a case of fans wanting to blame someone when there really isn't anyone to blame but the natural progression of how, you know, the, the system of Major League Baseball works. This is how it happens with a lot of teams. So uh, I think, I don't want to say short, yeah, short-sighted, but I think fans need to kind of sit back and, and try and look at things with some perspective before jumping on the front office is, is all I would say. I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying they've done a great job. They haven't really made any moves that have, you know, been eye-popping and that have, you know, made this team better. So I'm not going to go and give them credit and say sign Shapiro to a 10 year extension. But I also think that the criticism of him should pop should probably, you know, not be as intense as it is. See, John, I'm not sure if I agree with that by virtue of what he inherited when he arrived to this market, the kind of team that he had. I mean, if we're going to stay with the poker analogies, he was given pocket kings as before he could even make himself comfortable here in Toronto. He inherited a team that had won their division, that had the chemistry to be a contending team, and had the personalities, whether it was the Josh Donaldsons or the Jose Bautistas or the Edwin Encarnacion's of the world. You know, I remember going on Roger's show several times and talk, several times and talking about how they had this core nucleus of Devin Travis, Roberto Asuna, Aaron Sanchez, and Marcus Stroman, who were all controllable and all players that they could hang their hats on. But somehow they managed to play their hand and turn it into Jack Nine suited because that second <laughs> year, guys, guys, we have to be frank. That second year was not a super contending year. At no point during the 2016 season did the average Blue Jays fan believe that that team could channel that beautiful 53 day, 53 days worth of magic that they had in September of 2015. And you, you talked about, all three of you have talked about the perception that this front office gives to the fans. This offseason, Mark Shapiro talked about how he wanted to conduct an intellectual exercise and how he wanted to contend and rebuild, and how if not for the fans, this team would already be in the middle of an earnest rebuild that we could be talking about the Ryan Borokis and the Danny Jansons and the Vlad Guerreros and Bobuchets as being players that might, we might see this year to help continue to build the team. Uh, Colin, are they effectively stuck in limbo now because they hesitated when they could have doubled down and maybe signed an Edwin Encarnacion, maybe gone and played the free agent market and try to turn this team into a sustained window as opposed to giving up on it as quickly as they have and yet luring us into believing that this year would still be a contending year? Well, I, I think what I will say about Shapiro and Atkins, one criticism, one criticism rather that I have is they've kind of botched the messaging from the start and they've kind of come in here and done corporate speak and intelligent baseball fans in this market have, have read right through that. And I think when they kept saying this was going to be a contending team and they believed in it, 
they didn't really go out and make any moves to suggest that they believe this team could contend, and they've been trying to quietly rebuild this entire time. And I think one thing I will say now, just watching J.D. Martinez today hit his 18th home run, that was a guy that was sitting out there for every team, including the Blue Jays, Mm. to sign for a reasonable deal when those big hitters realized that the market had dried up and there wasn't as much money they thought they could potentially earn. A guy like J.D. Martinez signed in division and has got Boston off to this great start and is likely going to be a guy that's going to keep hitting this way. So that would have been a move I could have seen them going out and making, and Shapiro and Atkins easily could have made a pitch to a guy like J.D. Martinez. I just wanted to throw, uh, throw out there, too, that the Jays did have an opening in right field, as we all know. Um, with the J.D. Martinez uh, potential. So it's not like he was blocked by anything that they had already. Just wanted to throw that out there. Sorry, go ahead, Sam. No, I, I just I was going to say, you know, you can even look at what's present day. You know, Hantley Ramirez was his designated for assignment. I'm not saying he plays right field, but he has played outfield in the past. He is a very good bat, and one of the things that the Jays are struggling with is, you know, hitting at the plate. You know, when you look at if they're in limbo or not, just to answer your question, Ari, I personally wouldn't say you're in limbo if you have the right captain to steer the ship. And I, I think what we're all kind of agreeing with and coming to the conclusion is maybe these aren't the right guys that were brought in from head office to, you know, steer the ship after Anthopolis. And I, and I don't know if it's time to double down or to, to, you know, maybe go a different route, but there has to be some hard decisions made one way or another. And I think that, you know, head office may want to look at, you know, are there maybe other executives out there that could do a better job than what's being done right now? Yeah, you know, that hits the nail on the head because that's my exact issue too is is there's such a lack of clarity. And I mean, we talk about, you know, exactly, it's exactly that. Yeah. Can we, do we want to give Shapiro more time because it, it worked in Cleveland after a little while or, you know, he's had a few years and it looks so stagnant and stale and the fans aren't interested and they're apathetic. Do you move on? And I think that's a tough question to answer. But I also think that he doesn't help himself when he says what Ari mentioned um, in the question leading into this, this conversation about, you know, we only tried last year because the fans really wanted a contending team. Well, my mm-hmm. goodness, if you want a baseball executive paid all that money to make important decisions based on what's best for the club, if the fans are going to influence the decision, pay me the money and I'll run the team <laughs> and I'll just run Twitter polls and, and we'll govern the team that way. I mean, the lack of clarity that fans have with the front office, perhaps it comes with the, the lack of you know, decisiveness that they've shown yeah. in their time. And I mean, this isn't us speculating on indecisiveness. This is him telling us we weren't going to try and compete until the fans wanted it. So they flipped their plan based on the pressure from fans. I, I don't know about, I, you know, I, we, I work at the fan and, uh, you know, we're a very baseball-centric network and, you know, we don't, we, we program our, shows towards what we think listeners want to hear but we don't have listeners booking our guests for us if you, if you, if that analogy makes sense right yeah, we want to yeah. please the fans but we still have a job to do and we can't just go off the tr- go off the track based on what a few listeners uh say right there it's there there still has to be a structure there that's abided by and you're right there's just no clarity and you know when i was thinking about past management and even with J.P. Ricciardi, he told us he was going to go out and spend money. He just didn't spend it on the right guy. He spent it on A.J. Burnett and the B.J. Ryan. <laughs> and, you know, like, oh, we obviously know, you know, we don't have to go back memory lane, but there was clarity. With Anthopolis, 
you know, there were surprising moves and there was, you know, good deals, but there was always a sense of clarity of where this team was heading and that there were a lot of prospects and Strowman and Sanchez are coming up. And with, you know, with Atkins and Shapiro, I just haven't felt any clarity. I don't know who they're trying to appeal to, but when you look at the product in the field, if you're any any company, you can't be happy about what you've seen. I mean, the definition of Groundhog Day is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You're putting the same team out there, and the results are the same. And Blue Jays fans are beginning to appreciate that in spades because we're now talking about a year plus two months of ridiculously piss-poor baseball. Like, this isn't even the kind of stuff where we can sit back and, and commiserate over 500 baseball and I can ask you guys questions like, hey, who, what are the positives? Because there are some positives on this team, as fleeting as it may seem, because most of them are either injured or not in the lineup anymore. So at some point, you have to ask yourself, how much of this is the responsibility of the, 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 the ship's captain? And you want to talk about captains. Let's talk about captains on the field. Let's talk about Josh Donaldson, whom I'm sure myself, I can honestly say I'm sick to death uh, having to sit back and, and give a psychological assessment to fans. And I've done that a lot. That's probably the most frequent question I get asked when I meet Blue Jays fans. They ask me, you know, Mr. Shapiro, tell us your thoughts on Josh Donaldson. And I have many thoughts on Josh Donaldson. But if I look at the first two months of the season, I only have one lingering thought that remains, which is how they turn him into hopefully what will be some kind of trade bait because I can't see Mark Shapiro moving forward with Josh Donaldson. What do you guys think? I just don't know what you can move him for at, at this point. And I, I feel for Josh Donaldson. I feel like going into this year, he had a lot to prove. He was telling a lot of people that injuries and his age don't matter. He was going to prove that wrong. And I feel like, he rushed himself onto the field. He had a bit of a nagging injury in preseason, and that's leaked into the start of this year. And it's going to cost him, I think, a lot of money in the long run. And as, as the Jays look at this roster going forward, Josh Donaldson, a year ago we were talking about what the haul would be for a guy mm-hmm. like him, and his value was certainly higher back then. And now I'm looking at a guy, and there's probably going to be some contending teams that are going to circle back to the Blue Jays around trade deadline day and are going to lowball them for a guy like Josh Donaldson. And the Jays have got to have this internal debate. Do you, do you want to trade a fan favorite just for the sake of trading him and getting something back? Or, or is he worth more to keep right now and, and see if this guy can turn things around once his injuries get sorted out? That's the big debate they have to weigh going forward the next month or two. Well, see, in my mind... I don't think there's a doubt that they that they try and deal him. I think right now, look, no one's benefiting from Donaldson's play. The fans don't get to see, you know, the explosive mm-hmm. bat. Donaldson's in a contract year. The team isn't going to get much for on the trade market form right now. It's just a lose-lose-lose situation for all involved. But knowing this front office's philosophy, they are not looking to sign a guy in his early to mid-30s to a five or six year deal at 20 to $30 million a year. It's not in their DNA. And because they're analytics guys, they also believe that even if they get lowballed, if we're not going to sign him, he's going somewhere else. You may as well get anything you can. And perhaps if you have two or three teams lowball for him, you can play them against each other and get a semi decent deal done. So I think at this point, I am firmly in the camp that he will be gone uh, by the trade deadline, and the best hope is that the Blue Jays do receive two or three offers, uh, even if they're low-balled, to try and leverage 
um, something semi-respectable. And I, I absolutely agree. I think the more and more you think about, the more and more you think Donaldson's time has just kind of run out. And the injuries are one thing, but I've never in my life seen a baseball player, a professional baseball player, after the first game come out of the game and say, oh, I have a dead arm. I mean, if you're not prepared for game one, it's 162-game season. It's not football where, you know, 16 games and you got to play every single game because every game matters. You sit up a few weeks, and you're absolutely right. He was rushed in. You know, there is, you know, this whole contract debate. The one thing that can work in the Blue Jays' favor, if, you know, you follow Ken Rosenthal, which we all do, is that there's not a lot of offensive weapons that could be targeted or are rental players that a big team might want to add for the deadline. I know we know that he's so good defensively, but I think teams are going to really try and focus on his offensive abilities. And we've seen Josh Donaldson in the last few years, if anything, as bad as last season was, in the last month or so, Josh Donaldson was one of the hottest Jays with Teoscar Hernandez. So the guy can get hot, and when he gets hot, he's one of the most lethal hitters in the game. So I think that might work in Jay Caesar. It's just what Tim Shapiro and I can get from him. And you're right. They're going to have to really play it off how teams are relating to the deadline. And if there are a big market, if there's a few, a small market, to take advantage of that and try to get the best offer you can for them. It's amazing how fickle baseball can be and how quickly things can change. Because this is, in some ways, just a repetition of the Jose Bautista scenario without the hubris. Because uh-huh. Josh Donaldson isn't Jose Bautista. He certainly never positioned himself to be in a, you know, to receive comeuppance the way Bautista did. Bautista knows that his arrogance is something that hurt his career and probably cost him millions of dollars. Whereas in Josh Donaldson's case, the team has had the misfortune of seeing a player. And, and Sam, I don't know if I can agree with your point about his excellence defensively anymore. I think with this whole dead arm drama and now this this um, tightness in his calf, which we saw last year as well, a lot of teams will be concerned whether or not Josh Donaldson will be anywhere near. I mean, he'll still be regarded as a great defender, but the days of being considered the, one of the best MVP two-way players may have officially left him as a result of, of these struggles. Now, now we know that the on-field leadership is something which is a concern for this team. Uh, I want to get your opinion. Did you gentlemen feel that at the start of this year, when they were 12-5 and five and were hitting over 300 uh, with runners in scoring position, didn't you get the impression that some of these additions were real game changers? Whether it was Jan Hervis Solarte, whether it was Aledmus Diaz, or whether it was Curtis Granderson, can that still come back and maybe save the day, that, that intangible element that we love as baseball fans? Can it somehow, maybe with the return of Troy Tulowitzki and Steve Pierce, and at this point I can't believe I'm even phrasing these types of sentences out loud. I'll be vilified on Twitter for saying that, but can they make a difference somehow and change the season? I I would say no. Um, I would If... This was, you know, you had Vlad Jr. and Boba Shett already at the major league level performing. Guys like Aled, I'm a huge fan of Aledmus Diaz. Watched him a lot in the NL Central um, when he broke out with a, basically hit 300 in his first season at, at the major league level. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan. Great complimentary piece. Same thing with Jan Hervis Solarte. When you can hit 20 plus home runs playing 81 of your 162 games at Petco Park, that's an impressive hitter and an underrated bat, perhaps that you know fell victim to the East Coast bias in the media sphere. But they're both complementary pieces. If you have, you know, Edwin Encarnacion, Jose Bautista, and Josh Donaldson 
in 2015, and those are your complimentary guys. Yeah, you have got one heck of a lineup, but they aren't mm-hmm. they aren't they aren't the impact guys themselves, right? So I think yes, they're good, they're nice additions when they're playing well, but them playing well or coming back from injury does not a playoff team make uh, in, by any stretch of the imagination to me. And that's it. They're they're complementary players that were really at them. I like Solarte. I like Diaz to your points and what they bring to the table. Solarte's a, a switch hitter. He plays all over the infield. So that definitely helps, but they're not the guys. And when you look at what was added in the division with J.D. Martinez to Boston and John Carlos Sands to the Yankees, you know, you needed to add a big piece. And to me, I always said the first 20 games in baseball are a write-off because teams can go 15-0 and or 10-2 and or 12 and 5, but the next 30 games will really show an indication. And if we've seen anything in the last 30 games, we've seen Boston, New York be who they are. They have solid to good pitching staff, a good rotation, a very good bullpen, and amazing offenses. And the Blue Jays, well, we didn't know really what they were before the season. They started off great, but then they've gone against the Yankees a bunch, and the Red Sox, they were just swept today. So you have to look at what's in front of you, not what's behind you. And these last 30 games haven't been pretty. Yeah, I'll just I'll just piggyback on both you guys. I agree. I think if you're relying on Yan Hervis Solarte and Aledmus Diaz to to carry your team, then then you've got problems. Those are complementary guys and you need your star players like Josh Donaldson to step up and be everyday guys and produce the level we've been used to seeing the last number of years. And I, I keep saying this, but I look at Boston and New York, they're far ahead right now in the standings and They've got good young players that are producing right now and are going to be producing for the next five, ten years, maybe more than that. And as Blue Jays fans, I, I think we're just all waiting until Bobashek gets up here and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. get up here so we can have our own couple of young players to compete with the Aaron Judges of the world and Glaber Torres of the world. It's hard to believe that my nightmare from a couple of years ago has finally really come true. And what I mean by that is during all the exuberance and excitement and fulfillment of what 2015 baseball and playing in the postseason again felt like, there was this great fear that players would regress as a result of age and that one day the Blue Jays would find themselves with several albatross contracts, limited financial flexibility as a result of being corporately owned, and having to deal with this general frustration that we now experience in terms of what the future holds. That to me, this is almost like realizing that outside of Vlad Guerrero Jr., it just seems like this whole experience has been uh, a science experience gone awry. It's blown up in fans' faces. And now there's this great fear that with the Yankees and Boston becoming super teams, and we all know they're not going to be super teams only for a limited time. Both teams, with the way they're cultivating young talent, are going to be around and competitive for the next three four, five years. So as a final question on this phenomenal roundtable, and it has been because I'm glad we're covering all these things, in a way where we're not simply espousing doom and gloom. It's obviously not the greatest podcast if you're in the mood for being thrilled by positive news, but we're being realistic about it. So let's go around the horn and start with John. Give me your prediction of what the Toronto Blue Jays look one month from now, whether it might feature Vlad, whether there might be trades. Give me your vision of where we are on June 30th when it comes to the Toronto Blue Jays? Well, I think that you're you're in the territory of discussing um, the uh, Josh Donaldson trade, and you're hoping that in that month span that he really kind of turns it around 
hits a few home runs, starts showing some some increase in his on-base percentage, that kind of deal. And I think you have to explore explore trades for Kevin Pillar. Uh, I think perhaps there's a team that may want to upgrade defensively who needs a bottom of the the order bat. And Vlad Guerrero, whether it be from a financial standpoint or PR standpoint or uh, even a developmental standpoint, there's no doubt development left for him to be had in the minor leagues. The AA level is generally where the best young pitchers are. The AAA level staffed with the journeymen and the guys who are waiting to call up in case of injury. We know that you know AAA is not where you go to develop your, your hitters against good young pitching. And now that he's destroying AA, the next step in his development is to bring him to the major league level. So whether you want to talk about his development or putting butts in the seats at the Rogers Center or whether you want to talk about, you know, a PR point for this front office to say, hey, you know, we are trying to listen to the fans. We're not going to let them dictate it anymore, but, you know, we are listening. We do know you want to see Vlad here. I think it's a win-win-win situation. So I think you'll see Vlad up, and I think, you know, the Donaldson trade either will have happened or, you know, be very close Um around deadline time it just it's it's not conceivable to me knowing the front office and their philosophy that he'd be here uh, into the summer months and i absolutely just to piggyback i think we're growing in the league with guys like ronald asuna in atlanta and you talked about aaron judge and Galilva torres and it's becoming a young man's game and aaron judge mike trout they really started it off and i think you know why group Guerrero, if you look at his numbers, he's not just dominating double. He's eviscerating. He's like New Hampshire's never seen before. They don't know what to do. And there's just, you're absolutely right. The next logical step for him is to make it up to the majors. I think in the next month, to answer your question, Ari, we'll even have a more of an understanding of where the Jays fit, more towards obviously the sellers than the buyers at the deadline. And I think a deal with Donaldson's either in place or working, but to not have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. up and at least experience Baseball in the professional leagues and Major League Baseball it would be a huge shame and would be a waste because there's no need to have all these, as you used the term, Ari, albatross contracts on the team when there's no succeeding this season. Yeah, I think we're going to see the Josh Donaldson talk really ramp up. I think we're going to see other guys that we've been accustomed to seeing at Rogers Center be brought up as well in terms of trades. I could see Jay Happ and Marco Estrada mm-hmm. being named that we are talking about. And I think it is going to be more pressure. There's already a lot of pressure right now. We know the MLB network is, is following Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Barstool is everyone seems to be tuning into the New Hampshire Fisher Cats. And I think that that pressure is going to get even worse. And I could see Shapiro and Atkins looking at things, seeing 13,000 people at the park and say, you know what? Maybe now is the time to bring Vladimir Guerrero Jr. up, see what he can do. And I, I think we are going to see him here in Toronto uh, on the field. And I don't think we should think at all that it's that surreal to see a 19-year-old coming out of A and being thrust into the minors. It's certainly not conventional. We know in the past from other Blue Jays who came up too soon that they struggled, whether it was Carlos Delgado, whether it was Shannon Stewart initially, whether it was Roy Halladay, and then they had to be sent back down. But it's a scary prospect where the only way you can sustain interest is in the surrealism of having Vlad Guerrero come and save the day. But we all know 
being a media company, they did it to themselves. When you glorify the last game in spring training and have your players jumping around like they won something of substance in spring training because the phenom hit a home run, that's what you get in return. You get fans who dream. You get fans who ask themselves, why not Vlad in a season where Kendris Morales has already pitched and Russell Mars played left field? Like, I'm sorry, there's nothing conventional anymore about Blue Jays' wisdom. And if that's what it's going to take to make you relevant in a market where you're the only professional sports team playing, maybe that's not such a bad thing, is it? That was more of a rhetorical question. I'm glad that no one answered. So let's go around the horn quickly, boys. Let's do a shameless plug, which I will edit marvelously, as you can imagine. Let's start with uh, you, Sam, then you, Colin, and John, you close us off. What are you working on, and how can fans find you on social media? Yeah, fans can find me on social media, as always, at at Mindy underscore Ireland. I'm tweeting always about the Blue Jays and things going on with the NBA playoffs, and obviously the NHL Stanley Cup is underway. So I'm always very active on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me on the One Two Punch podcast. As Ari mentioned earlier, I do it with my friend Matthew Kasabian. We're actually working on a few other things. And, yeah, there's some interesting things in the works for me, so you may see me in the uh, upcoming future. Sam, I think you're more versatile than Russell Martin, just from hearing all those sports, ambitious sports endeavors you have. So, anyways, I appreciate that. Thank you, Ari. So, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at Teske Radio. I also am the host of the Good, the Bad, the Teske podcast. I'm also on a podcast with Ari Shapiro called Teske and Shapiro. So, you can find our work up there. Um, You can also... Look into my work online as well. I have my own blog. It's called the Good, the Bad, the Teske Blogspot.ca. Lots of good content up there. I write about everything from Johnny Manziel to LeBron James to the NHL to, of course, covering the Blue Jays. And I would mention some of my other burner accounts on Twitter, but those might be coming out in the press very shortly. <laughs> yeah. Uh- you can find me on social media at John Reed 590 No H in John. I'm one of those guys. Uh, you can also find my stuff at Southpaw underscore Slice. That is the podcast I host with another Sportsnet 590 The Fan uh, employee, Ben Lewis. It's a great time for tennis in Canada. Even as a casual fan, we've got one of the best young players in the world. We're in the middle of Grand Slam season. We've got the French Open now. We've got Wimbledon at the end of July. So tune in there, subscribe, uh, and uh, we'll get you caught up on all the latest tennis news. Be sure to check them out, ladies and gentlemen. They've got some fantastic podcasts. You've been listening to John Reed, Sam Mendelson, and Colin Teske here on the Jays Journal Lounge. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Great, thanks, Ari. Ari, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.